Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to have you here on this Thanksgiving long weekend. And really a good group of people here today. It's so good that you're here. Last week, you'll remember that I closed the message with uh, permission. I gave you permission to punch anybody in love, punch anybody that complained or said anything that, uh, that wasn't thankful, wasn't, wasn't filled with gratitude. Remember I said last week that we need to keep our focus on God and his kindness and his goodness to us and to get our focus off of our circumstances and off of problems. So after the service, an older woman came to me to complain about, about something to do with the lights. So I... <laughs> I didn't punch her. <laughs> You'll be happy to know. I... I uh, not even a... Pastor, good to see you. How are you? Good morning. And appreciated the word. Uh, uh, and if she didn't appreciate the word, then at least a hi, how are you? And a good morning would have been nice. Um, you know, we are, by nature, whiners and complainers. Would, would, would you agree with that? By nature, that's what we are. And I can prove that to you, and I'm going to do that in a moment. But I want to say this. Last week and this week, I've had so much feedback. So many people have commented and, and, and actually thanked me for the message last week because it's, it's been revolutionary. Whenever you get your focus off of your problems and get your focus onto God... It's, it's, it's a life changer for you. Now, this is actually Thanksgiving weekend. It's the, the time of the year, the one time of the year when we specifically and intentionally decide to say, God, thank you for your goodness. Now, who would have believed that England, jolly old England, was at one time a place of persecution? Most of us don't realize that or recognize that. When we think of Christians being persecuted, we right away think of Iraq and, and any place in the Middle East. But England was a, it was a time in England when if you did not follow the, the Church of England or if you didn't follow the Roman Catholic Church, then you were, you were severely persecuted. And many people died for their faith. Has anybody ever heard of Bloody Mary? That, before it was a drink... It was a queen who literally put together uh, hundreds and hundreds of people who were not following that, that line of belief. And so what happened in the 19, between the 19, uh, 1620s and the 1640s? There were a group of Christians that left England for the New World. We called them Pilgrims and Puritans. So this is, not, this is not legend or myth, folks. This is actually fact. It's historical. And went to a place called Plymouth, Massachusetts. And it was there that these early pilgrims established a new land, a new world, a new place for them to freely practice their faith, their trust in God. And it was there that they came in touch with the aboriginals or the American Indians and they were helped tremendously. They, the American Indians taught these pilgrims, these Puritans, how to survive in the New World. And of course, you know that, that iconic picture of the, the pilgrims with their big black hats and the big buckle on their, 
had, everybody knows what I'm talking about, the big buckle on the hat and the buckles on the shoes, that sort of thing. Um, it's where we get that picture. And it's real. It's based on what really happened. And there, these people gave thanks to God. They celebrated God's kindness in giving them a great harvest that would get them through the winter. That really is what Thanksgiving is all about. Now, here's what I want to just point out to everybody here today. That's something within us knows that when things have gone well, when God has provided for us and met our needs, that the right thing to do is to give thanks. And I would say this to you today, and if you, if you don't know this, you're going to learn it now, is that you and I have been created in the image of God. And because we've been created in the image of God, we understand in our hearts that the, the appropriate response to someone's kindness, the appropriate response to God's goodness is to say thank you. And human beings have known this throughout history. In fact, if you do any research, any anthropological research on, on societies and cultures and civilizations and religions, you will discover that common to all the cultures is that after harvest, people take time to say thank you because they recognize that they need to. They recognize that good has been done to them. Back 1,500 years before the Puritans, there was a man by the name of Cicero. Some of you have heard him. He's an often quoted uh, Roman or Italian uh, philosopher. And here's what he said. Gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, it is the parent of all the others. Can I say that to you again? Gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, it is the parent of all the others. Now, that's not bad for a pagan, is it? He understood, he recognized the importance of the human heart to express thanks, to express gratitude. Now, what we heard last week is that it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. And we learned about the ways that we are, are personally helped and transformed when we have an attitude of gratitude. It is good to give thanks to the Lord because we recognize the pattern of his wonderful works in our lives. I want to just quickly take you back 2,000 years ago to a place, we don't know the place exactly, but it's, uh, it's an event that's recorded by Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke. We find it in Luke chapter 17. And Jesus is traveling throughout the land. He's preaching the gospel, the, the, the gospel of the kingdom. People are getting healed. Lives are being transformed. All kinds of miracles. People are being delivered of demons. Just tremendous things. And everybody in the land knows about it. So Jesus is, is walking along, and then suddenly he is approached by some people who are very, very sick. We call these people lepers. Now, the leper is somebody who's got some kind of a skin disease. And now listen to this. Because of their skin disease, they were not allowed to mix freely with healthy people. They were forced to be segregated or quarantined, if you will, because of the fear of it being contagious or that it would spread. And so here are these 10 lepers who are lonely, who have been devastated by this illness, who have been rejected by their families, rejected by society, 
There is no social network or, or net, so, no social net to support them or to help them. There is uh, there's no medical system. They are just left on their own to die in their disease. Now, you can imagine how exciting, how thrilling it would be to hear that there's someone who's coming along who's got the ability to heal. And so they come to Jesus and they beg him, please touch us, please heal us. And so Jesus hears their prayer and he does for them what they ask. He heals them. And then as soon as they were healed, they took off, thrilled, excited, wonderful. But then one of them thought to himself, I'm healed. I'm whole. My life is now permanently changed. I can go back to my family. I can go be with people. I can go anywhere I want. I can do whatever I want. My life is changed. And suddenly he's filled with gratitude. And he runs back to Jesus. And he throws himself at Jesus' feet. And he says, thank you. Thank you. Now listen to this. Jesus has an interesting, a very interesting response. Jesus says, didn't I heal ten there's one. But didn't I heal ten? He asks, where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Now, I just want to point out something to you. This foreigner is, in fact, a Samaritan. And the Samaritan were hated by the Jewish people. They thought they were ungodly, unholy, and that they were rejected of God and, and that God did not care about them. But here's a Samaritan, the only one of the ten, who returns and says, thank you. Now, what I want to point out to us today, and first of all, I don't want anybody to cluck their tongue and shake their head and say, oh, those stupid nine can't believe how ridiculous and how silly they are and how ungrateful they are. Because the fact of the matter is, folks, is that too often those nine reflect us more than the one. I'm going to prove that to you in a moment. We move to a different time and a different place. The place is called Colossae. It is a city that has got a Christian church, relatively new, and they're learning what it means to be, a, to be Christ followers. And remember, in that time, there was no Bible like you and I have a Bible. And so what they did have is letters from the Apostle Paul, who was at that time the most prominent Christian leader in the church. And he would send letters out and say, here's the instructions on how to be a Christ follower. Do these things and you'll be able to follow Jesus the way Jesus wants you to follow him. Paul says to, to the Colossians in Colossians 3.10, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. So then Paul gives these instructions. In Colossians chapter 3, he says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderness, 
Mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you as you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. He says, have nothing to do with sexual immorality or with impurity or with lust or evil desires. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater. Don't be angry. Get rid of rage and malice and so on and so forth. But as we read on, Paul now gets fixated on on one special character trait that is absolutely critical. It's absolutely critical for your spiritual growth and development and if you're going to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. Paul is showing us how to have a better life, a great life. Now, if I ask the question today, who here would like to have a better life, a greater life, would you just sort of wave at me or nod or wink? You know, there's a few, yeah, some of you really want it badly. Yes, pick me. I want a better life. Paul tells us how to do it, and I'm so glad you're here today because you're going to learn how to have a better life. You didn't know this morning when you came to church you were going to learn how to have a better life. Before I tell you how to better have a better life, first of all, I have to tell you what life's about. Amen? So if you're going to have a better life, first of all, you need to know what it is actually about. And you've heard me say it before, life is about relationships. Ah, life is about relationships. Relationship with God? Who do I remind you of when I do this? Relationship with God and relationship with one another, right? The vertical and the horizontal. That's what life's about, having better relationship with God and a better relationship with one another. Now, if this is true, if it's true, which I think most Christians would believe, then why aren't we working on it more? Why are we not spending the time we need to spend on having better relationships? Some of you would say, well, Pastor Allen, tell me how to do it, and I'll do it. Well, I'm so glad you're here today because you're going to find out how to do it. This past week, I was talking to someone, and uh, I asked permission to share this. And, and this person was they're having a bit of a struggle in their marriage. Things have been a little bit rocky and a little bit difficult. There's been ups and downs. But after the message last week, remember I said we're going to concentrate on not our circumstances. We're going to concentrate our focus on God. And so this couple, having a struggle, after the service, they went out for lunch together, and I believe she said to him, are we going to discuss now some of these issues that we need to get resolved, some of our problems, some of the things that have caused a breakdown in the relationship? Are we going to do it? And he said, no. No, what we're going to do is we're going to do what Pastor Allen said. So I'm giving everybody permission here. You can hide behind me anytime you want. Pastor Allen said, we're not supposed to focus on our circumstances. We're supposed to focus on God. So this is what I'm going to say to you right now. I'm going to tell you today that I have the best wife. There's something to that effect, the best wife in the world. Now, rather than getting angry, she laughed. And she said, and I have the best husband in the world. It's amazing what happens, folks, when you and I make up our mind to start living the way God wants us to live and start doing it his way. 
And God wants you to focus not on your circumstances, but focus on him. Now, if you and I really want to have a better life, if you and I are really serious about doing what God wants us to do in order to have a great life, because really, folks, that's the point of Christianity, is that when you and I start living the way God calls us to live, that's when life turns around. And by the way, this is not psychobabble. This is actually scripture. Look what it says here in Colossians 3.15. Now, this is what the Apostle Paul says. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Now, I, I personally, if I, I, I wouldn't check my Greek out on this. I don't think there should be a period there. It needs to be connected. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace and be thank, and always be thankful. Why, why don't we have peace in our life? Because I, I, I know this. I know that everybody wants it. Everybody here wants to have peace in their heart. In fact, here's, here's what I also know. I know that the number one indicator of a great life is not that you have wealth or fame or fortune. The number one indicator that you've got a great life is that you've got peace. Our culture won't tell you that. The media won't tell you that. The movies that you watch, they're not going to tell you that. But the number one indicator that you have a great life is that you've got peace. You can go to bed at night and fall right to sleep. That when you wake up in the middle of the night, you can get back to sleep again. That you are not chewing your fingernails off because you're worried about what's going to happen next. That you are not sitting there stressing and, and worrying about what's going on in your life. The number one indicator of a great life is peace. Now here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, you need to let this peace rule in your hearts. But the question is this, how do we let that peace rule in our hearts? Well, he tells us, for as members of one body, you're called to live in peace and always be thankful. Now let the Spirit of God speak to your heart right now. Because the opposite of gratitude, the opposite of a thankful heart, is having a heart of stone. And when your heart is stone, you cannot enjoy intimacy with others. You cannot have that peace in your heart. The thing that is going to improve all of your relationships and bring about a better life for you is the day that you learn to do what the Apostle Paul says, and that is to express gratitude, to express thanks. Thanks to God and thanks to one another. Gratitude is the foundation and the basis of peace. It was nine lepers that went away from Jesus with hearts of stone. Their bodies were healed. They got what they want, and they said, thank you very much. I got what I want. See ya. One came back and recognized that there was more to this than just being healed physically. He bows down before Jesus 
And he says, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in my life. And you know what Jesus says to him in return? Remember, he's got his healing now. But Jesus takes it a step further. And he says, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. So many of us never get to that place in our lives where we move beyond God. Give me this, give me that, give me that. Your prayer life is more like a prayer list to Santa Claus. I want a brand new car. I want a brand, I want, I want to fit into size 30. I've settled for 34 jeans. I, I want a new DVD player, God. Give, give me a 60-inch TV. The 40-inch is too small, and people are laughing at me. I got to have a new Xbox, God. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Yes, and God, heal me, heal my body. And, and Lord, uh, don't let my hair go gray so fast. And gimme, gimme, gimme. See, that's the problem with the human heart. Is that we're so greedy and so self-centered. But this leper understands that there's something bigger at work in him. More than just being healed, more than just having good health, he comes back to Jesus. And Jesus says, not only is your body healed, but now your heart is healed also. Wow. Your faith has saved you. Not only has he got physical health, but now he has eternal life. Do you want to know how to have a better life? Take a clue from that one leper who returned to say thank you to Jesus. I know one thing, that you're, you're in one of two places right now. You're either taking and never giving thanks because it's not enough and not good enough, and, be, if, and if, you're, if you're that person who's like, I can't get enough, give me more, give me more, then I can tell you this, you have no peace in your life at all. You're not a happy camper. I know that about you. However, if you're the kind of person that's saying thank you with real gratitude in your hearts, real gratitude, then I know this. I know that your, your heart has got peace your heart's at rest because you know that God's sovereign and he's in charge. And even more than that, because you've got peace in your heart, folks, I know that you've got great relationships. And if you've got great relationships, folks, then you've got a better life. That's the way it works. Your attitude of gratitude will radically change all your relationships. And when you've got great relationships, you've got a great life. Now, can I just say this to you? It's not just Alan Duncalf's philosophy. First of all, it's biblical. But there is a doctor, a psychologist, by the name of Dr. Uh, Robert Emens. And here's what he decided to do. He was so intrigued by the effect of gratitude on human beings that he decided he was going to devote his whole life and research to that one thing, gratitude. And here's what he discovered. Gratitude needs two things in order for it to be truly gratitude. First of all, it needs affirmation. And secondly, it needs attribution. So what do we mean by that? Those are fancy words. 
Affirmation means that you actually acknowledge and recognize that something good has happened to you. Attribution means that you recognize where it came from. So for instance, this morning when I got up, got ready to come to church, I found a nice fall shirt to wear. Well, I'm calling it fall because it's as close as I could get to orange. I think really in a different light you'd see it was coral, but pretend with me that it's orange. Would you do that? So I've got a nice orange, orange shirt to wear to church this morning. How did it get in my closet? I'll tell you how it got in my closet. Gloria put it there. And I'm going to tell you this. It had no wrinkles. At least it had none when I started this morning. How did a perfectly ironed shirt end up in my closet? I affirm that somebody has put a nicely ironed shirt in my closet. And I can promise you it wasn't Jesse who ironed it. (laughs) Or Nick. (laughs) Not even Sarah. It was my wife. So what am I doing? I'm affirming the fact that Something good has been done. A nice shirt for Thanksgiving Sunday. And I recognize the source. It came from my wife. This is what it takes in order for there to be gratitude. Now, here's what Dr. Emens has discovered. This is really where it gets really cool and exciting. He discovers that those who practice gratitude, who both affirm, that is, recognize the good deed, and also are, are able to attribute that good deed to somebody, a source, those are the ones who he says have, this is his language, optimal, optimal functioning. That's psychological, psychobabble. All, all, all he's trying to say is things are going well for you. <laughs> And not just optimal functioning, but you are flourishing. I love that word. Flourishing. In other words, you are really healthy and growing and you're strong. And he goes on to say those who practice gratitude, affirming and attributing, these are the people who have the greatest sense of well-being. That's another way of saying they've got peace in their heart. He says these people have the greatest level of satisfaction in their life. Truly satisfied with life. When's the last time you could say, I feel so satisfied with my life? He says they're more successful. They do better in business. They do better in their job. They're the first ones that are going to get a promotion at work. They're the first ones that are going to get recognition They've got bigger bank accounts than everybody else. This is his findings. He goes on to say they're happier, they're more satisfied. And because they're happier and more satisfied, guess what? It leads to doing good things. This is, what he's, this is his findings. The good things include acts of generosity. They're more compassionate. They're more forgiving. And look at this. They're even more pro-social. By pro-social, I mean more able to mix with other people. Now, I know that some of you are what we would call introverts, and I know that sometimes it's difficult for you to interact with many people. 
What makes you happiest is just to be left alone and you're happy like that. It's very hard for an extrovert to understand that. But here's the thing. When you are a person who expresses gratitude, it suddenly opens your heart up to other people and suddenly you are more apt and more willing to mix with other people. I'm just saying, what a blessing it is to express gratitude, to see the things that you're grateful for, and to express it. Dr. Eamons initiated a special experiment. Uh, I love experiments. And it was an experiment with what would happen if people actually intentionally took notice of the good things that were happening in their lives? What would happen if they got a journal and started writing down every good thing that happened to them? So what he did is he gathered a a large number of people together, gave them journals, and said, now I want you to absolutely journal every good thing that happens. And so there's all these people that got a journal in their back pocket, and every little good thing that happens, they write it down. And then there was a control group, and, and a group of the same number of people, but they didn't write down anything. Here's what happened. These people that had the journal, they're writing down everything. They would say, oh, I went to a superstore and the clerk was nice to me. <laughs> got, a, got a basket at superstore and the wheels worked. <laughs> got a parking stall at the front of the store. A stall right beside the handicap parking. Every little thing was written down. Somebody let me, let me cut into the traffic. Wrote that down. My wife didn't yell at me today. She made me breakfast. Wrote that down. My kids didn't lip back. They were kind to me. They treated me with respect. Write that down. And for, for a period of about, I think, six weeks, they wrote everything down. Now, here's what they discovered. They discovered that those who kept the gratitude journal were literally transformed. They were changed. They were different than the way they were when they began. And here's what they discovered. They were more outgoing, not so shy or inward-looking, but rather outward-looking and more prone to connect with humans. They were generous, much more generous, more apt and willing to give and share if there were special needs around them, they were more apt to be helpful, to step out of their comfort zone and do what they could to be helpful. They were more charitable, willing to help those who were in need. At the end of the study, those keeping a journal, watch this, those who were keeping the journal were a whopping 25% happier than the control group. 25 that's serious, serious transformation, folks. And then he adds this, and I don't know (laughs) how it's connected to the rest of it, but he says, on average, those who kept the gratitude journal exercised 40 minutes more per week than the control group. (laughs) Side benefit, you're more apt to make yourself healthy, I guess. Wow. The power of gratitude in the life of a believer. He goes on to say this. He says, sociopathy, that is antisocial behavior, is characterized by ingratitude, an an unwillingness or an inability to acknowledge or recognize when something good's been done to them. 
He says, rep, uh, rep, uh, forget it. <laughs> I said it fine the first service. I couldn't do it the second one. Karma, let's say that. <laughs> Not a Christian term, but everybody knows what karma is, right? The idea that whatever you do will be done to you. Well, in fact, Jesus said this, didn't he? He said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And another, another verse, we reap what we, there it is. Reciprocity. <laughs> I did it. There it is. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'd like to thank my mother and... <laughs> The idea is that, is that we, we all understand that we usually return good for good, right? We usually return good for good. And when someone does not return good for good, we are, all of us, universally disgusted by that. Where does that come from? I'll tell you where it comes from. You and I were created in the image of God. That's why we're offended when somebody pays bad for good. In fact, if you really want to insult somebody, or if you're really angry about somebody, you, your accusation will be, you are the most ungrateful mm, that I've ever met. It's a terrible thing to be called an ungrateful whatever. Because we all understand the importance of being grateful. Even if we don't practice it, we understand it. Now, the Apostle Paul, in this next passage of Scripture, Colossians 3.16, listen, look what he says here. He says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Well, he said it again. And then look at this, the next verse. Look what he says, Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now, I want you to notice something here. He says not to be greedy once. He says to not lie once. He says uh, that we should not lust once. He tells us that we should uh, not be greedy once. I think I said that already. But he says three times to be thankful. Why? Because first of all, he knows that it's not our tendency to be thankful. It's our tendency to be ingrateful, ungrateful. But the other thing he knows is that when you and I are thankful, that's where we begin to experience intimacy with each other and intimacy with God, which is something every human heart craves. Now, let me just remind you of something. It could be easily argued that ingratitude was what led to the downfall of Adam and Eve. God says, Adam and Eve, look what I've created for you. Spectacular garden. Everything in this garden is yours. Enjoy it. I made it for you because I love you. Go help yourself. Have a great time. Waterfalls. Like the, idea, the, the, the richest, best idea that you have of paradise, that's what God created, and even better than that. 
And then God says, but one thing, there's one tree. There's, there's thousands, tens of thousands of trees that you can help yourself to, but there's one tree that you're not supposed to touch. Don't touch that tree. Don't eat, that fr- don't eat the fruit from that tree. Now, is this not human? Adam and Eve do not see all that God has created for them. They see the one tree that God says don't touch. Hello. You know where I'm going with this. And they're thinking to themselves, God's holding back. God's holding back on me. Have you ever thought that? You felt that what God's given you is not enough? My friends, if you don't realize how much God has given you, then I I will buy you a a one-way ticket to Iraq. Any takers? And that was Adam and Eve. You've got it all, Adam and Eve. All but one tree, and that's not good enough. All they can do is fixate on the one thing that they don't have and can't have. And to make matters worse, Satan comes along, and how many know that the the devil is crafty? We we don't have to be afraid of him. You don't have to be afraid of him. But you have to understand the way he works. And he comes along to Adam and Eve and says, God's holding back on you, isn't he? God gave you this whole garden, but he knows that the best he's saved for himself because he doesn't want you to really be happy. God's only thinking of himself. God's holding back on you. God knows that when you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to be like him. So God's holding back. He doesn't want you to be like him. How many know that Satan lies, but he sometimes tells half-truths? And so Adam and Eve think, yeah, yeah. Satan, you're right. God is holding back. And Eve takes the fruit, says, this is delicious. Adam, help yourself. Adam helps himself. Mmm. Ooh, got to cover up. Suddenly, they knew the knowledge and had the knowledge of good and evil. They were like God in that respect. But what they didn't know is that they had invited damnation and death. All because they felt that God was withholding from them. Adam says to God, well, God, it's really not my fault. It's your fault. If you hadn't given me this woman, this woman you created for me, you know, if you hadn't given her to me, I wouldn't be in this trouble right now. So it's her fault and it's your fault. It's not mine. And Eve says, well, God, it's not really my fault. It's your fault. This husband you give me is an idiot. Oh, she didn't say that. Certainly implied. And the snake you created. If that snake wasn't there, I wouldn't be led astray. So it's your fault. And so what happens here, folks? This ingratitude... It causes a breakdown in the relationship with God and the relationship with one another. And suddenly everybody is estranged from each other. And suddenly nobody's happy. 
And suddenly Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. And suddenly their sons, one of their sons kills the other son. And loneliness and a lack of intimacy and destruction rule. Why? For the same reason that you've faced the struggles that you faced. And maybe for the same reason you're facing the struggles you're facing now. It's because we have forgotten how to be grateful. The nine walked away from Jesus. And Jesus says, has no one returned to give glory to God except this stranger? And Jesus says to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has saved you. Here's what I'm saying to you today. You want to have a great life, have a better life? You want to enjoy intimacy with one another? Then God's calling you to develop an attitude of gratitude. Now watch what happens in your life this week or today if you start focusing on the good things that God has done for you and the good things that the people in your life are doing for you. It's a game changer. You will begin to experience a joy and a happiness and a sense of fulfillment and intimacy that you could never feel any other way. This peace that Paul's talking about, it can only come when all your relationships are right. You will never, ever, ever have peace in your heart if you haven't made things right with you and God and if you haven't made things right with one another. You will never have peace. But if you do, if you're willing to have that peace and you're going to start expressing gratitude to one another and to God and watch how your life will be transformed. This is a money-back guarantee. Your life will be transformed as you learn to express gratitude. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, for your provision in our life. Forgive us, God, for so often failing to recognize that. Father, so often we get focused on the things that maybe we feel are not the best and we fail to see your kindness and your goodness. God, as we go from here today on this Thanksgiving Sunday, fill our hearts with gratitude. Make us a people, Lord, who know how to say thank you. And Father, we're looking for the results of that attitude of gratitude, which is a great life and true intimacy with the people in our lives. Help us to say thank you, God. Help us, we pray.